If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today's guest is Christine Stevens. Christine in the past has done some dressage, show jumping and eventing, riding and coaching but now she's focused on coaching show jumping. She's also breeding a few show jumpers and really concentrating on their temperament and their trainability. How are you? Christine? Very good, thank you. Good. Christine, have you got a, um, a favourite quote for us today to start us off? Basically, never say never. If we work long enough and hard enough at anything, we'll certainly find a way of getting it done. Good. Have you got anything in mind? You, you got an example for us? Um, no, you get a lot of teenage girls particularly that, you know, strive for perfection and because every, not every single fence isn't perfect, you know, they get very down, disheartened. Mm -hmm. And I say to them that if you were, you know, had an exam at school and you got 90%, you'd be stoked. Mm. You go out in a show jumping course and you have a fence down, you've got 90%, mm. but you just dwell on that one fence that's not perfect. Yep. And it's yep. something that you need to really address, that it's, you know, the whole big scheme of things. Yep. And Christine, did someone tell you that or you've adapted it from someone else? When was the first time you heard it? I haven't ever heard it. I just developed it myself. Okay. By, you know, doing a lot of coaching and, and seeing the kids and seeing how particularly teenage girls beat themselves up yep. when they're not perfect, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It sort of impedes learning. It doesn't help it. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. All right, Christine, can you take us back and tell us how you first started with horses and what your first memories were? Well, I've been around horses all my life. My mother came from East Gippsland, so we up in the high country, so the horses were the main mode of transport up there. We used them for mustering and for anything else we needed to do. So basically I've been around them before and learnt to ride, or rode anyway, mm. since before I could walk. Okay. So then we went to, you know, normal channels of, you know, pony club and going then into EA and then sort of followed my passion of teaching mm -hmm. and finding different ways people learn and horses learn. And so basically I seem to be a teacher of animals and humans. Yep, yep. And Christine, did you always think that you were going to be teaching riding and teaching about horses and teaching about animals or was there something that made you change your mind and go down that path? Well, when I was very little, we had a thing at school, you know, what did you want to be when you grew up? Mm -hmm. And even then when I was like five or six, all I wanted to do was ride horses. Yep. And I probably started teaching when I was about 12. Mm-hmm. You know, just, you know, kids around the area yep. and probably when I was 15 or 16, I was asked to teach a pony club and that's when the bug for teaching bit. I mm -hmm. just loved it. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah, that's about that. The training horses, I've just always done it. I started <laughs> off with the wrong way, in, in other words, with unbroken horses and trained them myself and just kept training. Mm, mm, mm. 
Mm. And so I love to sort of get inside their heads and work out, you know, how they tick and what how they how to teach them best and how to teach them easiest. Yep, yep. If you've got someone, a young person now, who says, look, I really want to, you know, work in the industry and train horses, but they haven't got a lot of knowledge, what sort of core skills do you think or character traits, you know, to make them a good trainer? They need to be prepared to work extremely hard physically Mm -hmm. and mentally. Yep. It takes enormous amount of concentration and attention to detail and... You need to be able to question everything you do and everything that happens. You need to have like a good feedback or feelage on what you're doing and the feedback from the animal and from your own body. Okay. Yeah, but basically to be able to work really hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Physically and mentally. Yeah. Because it's a big concentration game, you know, on so many levels. Yes. But a lot of people you see coming through, they're just not prepared to put in the hard yards, the sheer number of miles and hours in the saddle and hours working with the animals because the animal itself is the best teacher. Yeah, yeah. Do you think they just want everything just a bit too quick? Too quick Mm. and just aren't prepared to or don't understand how much it takes. You know, I see a lot of young, particularly event riders, Mm -hmm. coming through and they all want to go off and be a coach. Mm. And until you've worked with thousands and thousands of horses and you can't be a good coach because there's so many variables mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know and I think that's a thing you know they think that because they've won some big class on one horse mm. that possibly was already trained when they got there mm-hmm. doesn't make them a coach yep. yep you know and you see that actually in the NCIS system not mm-hmm. that I wish to pick on that but you know the coaches they have to be seen to have ridden say flying changes or lateral work mm-hmm It doesn't mean that they have to have trained it. And unless you trained it on a number of horses, you don't know all the things that can go wrong. So you can't fix, you don't have answers for all the options, you know, of how and why things go wrong. And and that's something that really irks me a bit when you see these people go, well, you know, I'm a great coach. I won Narricord or Gawler or, or, well, Gawler doesn't exist in in this fashion anymore. But, you know, it takes a lot of horses to have the skill base. Yes, to be a good coach. Yeah. It's a very broad skill basis and it's just not narrowly fixed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. just so many variables. There's so many types of brains in the animals and then with the humans as well. And, you know, it just, there's so many variables. Mm, mm, mm. And even variables with one coach and one rider on the same day, if they Absolutely. try a movement a few different times, there's different variables even then. Yeah. Yes. And I noticed years ago I was working with a young girl up in East Gippsland and I'd been at her and at her and at her to keep her outside elbow in because she used to give her elbow and hand away and the horse had bent his neck and nick off sideways. Mm. And my husband was giving her a hand at the practice fence and I sidled up to him and I said, tell her to keep hold of the outside rein. Mm-hmm. And he said it and from there on in she kept hold of the outside rein. <laughs> and I'd been at her for months for it. Yep. And she never could. But because he said it, yep. someone clean said it, Yes. then yes. then she could do it. Yep. It was like, oh, I've got to keep holding my outside brain. Yep, yep. Yeah, and that's, you know, a very interesting part on, you know, how humans learn. Mm. Mm. Who do you think, you know, thinking about your career as a rider, as a coach, and just with horses, who's been influential to you? Have you got a person? Coaching-wise, you know? Mary Wanless, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. She basically taught me to 
nut out how what's going wrong, how to fix it. Mm-hmm. So she's very good on the mental side of things, and that's a huge part of horse riding. Skill-wise, probably Miguel Travoy helped me enormously. Cherie Edmonds helped me enormously. Art Utendahl was very helpful. Yeah, those sort of people. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. And what about horses? Uh, well, I've had lots of <laughs> When I was 18 and I'd finished school, I was working racehorses and working at a, ra- a show horse stable. Yep. And then I started working on a sports horse stable to Kate Wallace down at Moriac. Uh-huh. And then I got a full-time job with her. So I had, you know, a lot, had a involvement with a lot of horses. And she was probably one of the early ones to actually specifically breed for an, a job. She bred sort of sports horse Thoroughbred, they were from a New Zealand line of sports horse. Mm-hmm. And I worked for her for 10 years and then I went out on my own and I was doing a lot of coaching at that stage as well. And then I went out on my own after that uh, with some of her bloodlines. And then we had some a very good line of stock horses, the Chan line of stock horses or Radium line of stock horses that were brilliant jumpers. We sort of had four or five really good A graders mm-hmm. of that line. And so then I mixed that blood with her thoroughbred blood. Yep. But the Chan horses were very hot and not overly trainable, where her, her horses were quite slow and not very trainable, but all had big jumps. Mm-hmm. And then I've used Adam Johnson's Contango 2 horse or Woodley yep. Don 1 yep. back through them, and that's really given me some super nice horses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They've got the trainability and the athleticism yeah. and the size yeah. that yeah. I'm looking for. Yep. yep. So, yeah, I just wish I was 30 years younger, really. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh my god, I would have killed to have horses like that when I was young. Yes, yeah. What What do you think your proudest moment's been? Um, we had a very good stock horse building years ago called Tabarabra, and he placed. Well, he only ever did two World Cups, and he placed in both of them in the show jumping. Yep. And he was, yeah, just an amazing little horse. But when he came to me, he was very, very difficult and just broken in, and used to be very touchy and buck a lot. Yep. And I did an enormous amount of work with him to get him sort of quiet and on the job. And he was just amazing. It was just unfortunate. He sort of died when he was six, you know, but he'd already sort of was runner-up to Australian Championship as a champion as a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. Not that we knew his age when we got him, but yeah. we thought he was older than that. It's nice to start them off and have them for that whole journey, isn't it? You know, not just oh, to... I love, love starting yeah. babies and having yeah. them. So everything we've got now is stuff that we've bred. Yes, yeah, and it is very yeah. satisfying, right, from like, you know, we took two little babies out the last two shows for their first outings and, you know, just seeing them out there and coping and behaving and hopping around the 50 and 60 centimetres, yeah. you know, you're proud of that, just yes. seeing them handle themselves and yeah. being confident and calm and accepting, you know, that's a huge buzz in itself. You know, they don't have to be jumping big fences, just that, they're, you know, their brains are coping well with it all. Yep. Yep. And, you know, that's to me, that's like, that's a, I get a real buzz out of that. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to see them jump big fences, but, you know, in a lot of ways, just having them going out and being calm and accepting and, and try for you, Yeah. even though they're terrified, yeah. is probably a bigger buzz. It's a big achievement because you know mm. that you know what's gone into it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's just amazing for them to, to trust you that much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you know you've done the right job when they can go out and go, oh, Mum, I'm really scared, but I can do that, you know? Yes, yes. And yeah. so, yeah, that means a lot to me for that to be able to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, what do you think your biggest challenge has been? 
Me, I'm not a very good people person. I can't, I don't, and can't sell myself. I lack a lot of self confidence. <laughs> so probably that would have been the biggest challenge, and having no money and no support. You know, when I was younger and doing a lot of competition, you know, it was very, very hard. And it sort of was what stopped me, you know, going on to a high level in dressage. I literally could not afford top hat and tails. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though I had horses trained to that level, I couldn't afford to do it because I had no money behind me. Yep. And yep. being not very good with people and not very money orientated, it didn't help. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that's one thing I'm sort of, I don't know, sorry that I didn't perceive, didn't go through more with. Mm-hmm. And then I broke my coccyx a few years ago and couldn't ride for two years. And I thought, the thing I most regretted was not competing at that higher level, you know, in dressage, because yes. I had sort of done that high level in both the other disciplines, but only gone to sort of pre St. George in dressage. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of thought, looked at it and it's got so expensive since I'd stopped doing it. Mm. And I thought, oh, I'll just do a bit of adult riding club. And, you know, I just hated it. Uh-huh. I did half a dozen competitions and I thought, what the hell am I doing this for? I absolutely hate it. Yeah. And then I stopped doing it and I had so much more fun with the horses because I could school what I wanted, when I wanted it, instead of saying, I can't do that because I need it for dress this for a dressage test. Or yep. I can't do that because I need this for a dressage test. Yep. Yep, yep. And so I stopped doing it again because I thought, well, you know, I work hard enough that I don't need to have my weekends even harder, you know? Yes, yep, yep. So I thought, no, there's no point doing it anymore. I really wasn't enjoying it. So mm-hmm. I thought, nope, I put a pin to that and just I just go <laughs> to the shows with my husband, really. Okay, okay. And either good. judge show jumping or, you know, support him, strap all the horses or something. Okay, so when you do go out to those shows and you see a lot of show jumpers, what's a common problem that you see the riders having and how can they fix it? Well, there's two main ones that really irk mm-hmm. me. The first one is that they are, well, probably three. The first one is that they're always on the heads. Check, 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 check. You know, coming in, you know, with yep. a lot of, lot of contact and that yes. really irks me because it's unnecessary mm-hmm. and not fair for the horse. Yep. The second one that really irks me is, you know, the, you watch them go around a corner and... 99 out of 100 don't have the control of their hips and their hips slip out to the outside of the circle and they pull back on the inside rein and their hips are slipped out and the horse can't turn if you wait to the outside. Yeah. And that really bothers me too. Mm-hmm. And another yeah, thing is that just this fashion thing, you know, this trend of, you know, you've got to have all the right gear and be flash and fancy but don't worry about the horsemanship skills or the... You know, anything else as long as you've got all that right gear on, you know, mm, mm. which is like the first thing it should be, well, you know, is your horse doing the job? Is he comfortable? Is he happy? Yes, yes. Still, people often comment to me, you know, how come your horses try so hard? Because Greg, my husband, is not a very orthodox rider. And I'm like, one, they're fit and well and healthy and everything's done right for them. They're trained right. Mm-hmm. And the main thing is he leaves them alone. Mm. He says, this is your job, off you go do it. And they go, yeah, no worries. You know, he doesn't swing on their heads and he doesn't bump on their backs and he doesn't, you know, pull his upper body back and overweight their loins coming in. But it seems to be a teaching fad these days to turn your knee and toe out, lean back and push with your back. And it's it's so uncomfortable for the horse and so wrong Mm. that it just seems to be what's taught. So thinking about just the first two, you know, checking the horse on the approach, constantly checking the horse and then the corners, for someone who is listening and they think, I think I might do that, 
but I'm just not sure how to fix it or I'm sure I can improve my corners. First of all, what would you do to someone who knows that they're constantly checking their horse? They feel like they have to constantly check their horse because the horse runs on a bit into a fence. What would you say to them? Well, it would depend on the reason the horse, if A, the horse is running on or mm-hmm. whether it's just a habit. If a horse yep. is running on, then you would discipline the horse either by turning him away or halting mm-hmm. until he learnt just to wait. That's done in training, though, before they if get to the show. That's done in training, yep. yes. Yep. If it's just a habit, drawing attention to it can help. Mm-hmm. Using a piece of hay band around the horse's neck and getting them to hang onto the hay band without gloves so yep. they actually, and then their fingers get sore and they actually realise how much they're pulling. Yep. That can often help too. Okay. But you're basically usually drawing attention to it's enough to sort of make some, oh, a lot of people mm-hmm. go, oh, yeah. okay. And even get them to jump with no reins, mm. which is a huge leap of trust. But, mm. you know, I think they honestly believe the horse can't leave the ground or lunging them over a fence without any rider interfering with them, they can still jump. They don't make a mistake very often on their own. Mm -hmm. And nobody's helping them there. They use their eyes. You know, and that's what I keep saying to people. They have eyes. Yes, yes. Yeah, they can do it out by themselves without a rider. So, Mm. And they can only ever be half a stride out. Yeah. You know, they're either half a stride too close or half a stride too far away. But if the canter's right, Mm. then most horses can jump out of it. Yep. Unless the fence is absolutely massive, but then you just get a horse with more scope, really, is what the Europeans do. You'll see them come in, and you'll see them come in these huge big canters, and you're like, wow. And But because the horse has got so much scope, it just goes pinging out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, yeah. you don't need to be swinging on the heads all the time. And I just, I just shut my eyes watching. I watched a young rider down at Boneo last year, and there was one rider there out of all the young riders that didn't do it. Okay. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know. Mm-hmm. It was just so sad to see those poor horses having to be put up with having the riders pushing their butts into the saddle and pulling on their mouths. I mean, it just doesn't help. Mm. Mm. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. What, what about corners? You know, I mean, drawing attention to it, but what can the riders do then to improve the corners? Two things with corners. Most riders just pull back on the inside rein. Mm-hmm. So the horse bends his neck, bulges the weight onto the outside shoulder and bolt goes sideways. A bit like using a steering wheel, isn't it? You know, just pulling, pulling on the inside rein, just like using a steering wheel, but not yeah. thinking about the whole of the horse. Just Yeah, so they yeah. just basically, I say turn the nose. Mm. They turn the nose, not the shoulder. So they need to learn to turn the shoulder mm-hmm. so that they turn the whole horse. Yep. So teaching them to yield or turn, use both hands in turning and yield the whole shoulder, not steer the shoulder, not the nose, is mm-hmm. what I keep saying to them, steer the shoulder, not the nose. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is with the use of their weight, if... They weight the inside iron in the turn. The horse will always stay under your centre of gravity. So by shifting your weight slightly inwards, the horse has already set itself up to go that way. But you see so many of them over the fence, when they pull back with the inside rein, the outside hip goes forward, Mm. which means the weight is transferred to the outside. And so the horse then lands with his balance to the outside instead of 
you know, taking both hands a little in and keep the weight on the inside iron, the horse will follow your weight and you'll land balanced. Mm-hmm. And so he can turn easier. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing, you know, like our horses turn on a dime and some of them are sort of a good 17 hands. Yeah. And it's because they're taught to follow the body weight, the seat, and you steer the shoulder. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of unbalancing them, you're rebalancing them all the time. Yes. And it puts them over their inside leg, which makes them stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, then the 17 hand one, is that going back to contango? No, the 17, there are a couple of big 17 handers basically go back to uh, the thoroughbred horse called Santa Bazaar. Okay. And well, Santa Bazaar and the stock horse line, the Chan's legacy or Chan's last line. Yep. Stock horses, I don't know where the height comes in, but they kept quite a few of them were very, very big. It's probably the good feeding that you're giving them when they're young horses too. <laughs> Possibly. You are yeah. a very good country. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, they're, they're super athletes, they're mm-hmm. stock horses. Mm-hmm. So the height can come down both lines. So we just keep getting these very big horses. But okay. as long as they're athletic, I don't mind them being so big. Yeah, yeah. So quite often when they get very big, they lose athleticism. I've only had one do that so far that, you know, she grew to 17.2 and she just couldn't jump, just couldn't get about. Yeah, yeah. But all the other big ones haven't had any problem with it. That's good, good. Right. What about a book, Christine? Have you got a book you can recommend? I know you like Mary Wanless. Yes, she was very good. And another one was um, Anthony Palmer's Training Show Jumpers. Yep. It was like my Bible years ago when I was working for Kate. I just uh, read it from cover to cover, I don't know how many times. And it's got a lot of very good techniques and ideas and principles in it. Mm-hmm. Also, I can't think of his name at the moment. There's um, a few of the old Stockholm blokes. Tom Roberts? Yes. Yeah, you know, like, I mean, I don't agree with all he says, but he's a very good horseman and he's got some very good basic principles about training horses and, and I found him very useful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, he certainly gets you thinking, doesn't he? And just coming oh, in he from does, a little good. bit of a, a different point of view to the point of view that was around at the time. Yes, at the, and I mean, you know, it's very in line with, um, you know, natural horsemanship movement that's around now. But I, um, I think when he was when he wrote that, there wasn't, you know. Oh no, 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 yeah. it was very abnormal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he probably and probably he had, had controversial views at the time. Yeah, but mm. very good. Mm. Steve mm. Brady is stock horse bloke now, yep. these days. Yes, he's an incredible horseman, and I learned a lot from him too. Okay, and okay. his books are quite interesting. Um, you know, that's just venturing a little bit into like the natural horsemanship, yep. but a lot yep. of the training techniques are much clearer to the horse for their learning than what, you know, as normal, like traditional dressage riders are taught. Mm-hmm. And they train the control of the the shoulder and the rump and the ribs in a lot more uh, clearer perspective. Mm-hmm. So it makes the training of the horse a lot clearer for them. Yep. And anything that makes it tra- learning easy for the horse, I'm all for. Yes, Yes. So I sort of studied a lot of different sort of aspects of horsemanship just to try to, you know, keep getting a bigger and more complete picture. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. And I think sometimes if you come in from just a little bit of a different point of view, what you're doing is you're expanding and you're just continuing to experiment. And I it think was if interesting we, if we when I, I went to a clinic with uh, Wayne Benny. I mean, up at Shuri Edmonds many years ago, and he at lunchtime he did a float loading demonstration, and I went, oh, I never had trouble loading horses, I wouldn't have to worry about this. But anyway, I sat in and watched it, 
And next day, we had the lady I worked for had sold a young colt. And we tried for two, three hours to get this thing on the truck, and he was <laughs> going to kill himself. He was just, just wouldn't have a bar of it. Mm. And I said to her, let me try that thing that Steve Brody, or no, it wasn't Steve, Wayne Banny did yesterday. So I popped him in the big, you know, in the working yard and put the float in there. And within five minutes, I had him trotting in and out without any problem yeah. in the world. Yeah. And when the bloke came to pick the horse up, I threw the rope over his neck and he walked in. Yeah. And yeah. He's, he was a yearling or two-year-old colt, whatever it was. Yeah. And he's like, he was blown away that the horse was that obedient. But I just went, I'll try it. And it was amazing how it worked. That's good. So yeah. there goes that never say never thing again, doesn't it? Yes, yes, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Christine, what are you looking forward to? What are your plans over the next 12 months, two years? Um, Have you got some nice horses coming along? Uh, I've got some absolutely beautiful young horses coming along, way too many for us, us to work. <laughs> but I've got probably the nice, where you've got 10 in work at the moment, and I'm probably the nicest young horses I've ever had the pleasure to deal with. They're just beautiful. They can all got beautiful temperaments. They're all just lovely, soft creatures to be around. They've lovely moves, got great jumps and just so trainable. They're, you know, really exciting to work with. Okay. So and I'm you're not going so to keep them all? You're going to sell a couple? I will have to sell a couple because I've got pretty bad arthritis and I can't keep working them all. And my niece has been helping me with them, but she's at uni. So, you know, when uni's on, we really struggle to get them all worked. Okay. But I don't know which ones I want to going to sell because I love them. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> it's hard when you've got nice ones to choose from, isn't oh, it? Oh, there's just some mm, absolute mm. crackers. I, like I said, if I was 30 years younger, they wouldn't be going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Christine, can you sum up your philosophy for us today? I think it's really important to be nice to the horse, to try to think about how he's feeling and how he's learning, to remember that horse or human don't learn well when they're under pressure that you've got to try to make the learning very clear very concise and you know not to hurry it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that doesn't matter whether it's horse or human I think it's important that you know your training techniques are very very clear and concise and simple yeah the simpler the better you know Um, and I think it's really important that the groundwork and the basics are, are put into place very strongly so that the horse doesn't get muddled up when you, you know, say, well, A, this means that, and B, this means that. If I join A and B together, it means this, you know, and then they go, oh, my God, she's changed things. That's scary. Mm, You just mm. go, well, actually, if you can do that and you can do that, well, then you can do this. Oh, yes, I can, you know. And then they start to want to learn for you. Yes. Instead of every time we introduce something new, they go, oh, my God, it's scary. They go, oh, what's mum trying to say now? Mm. Oh, I got it, you know. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, probably that. All right. Christine, if people want to contact you about those nice young horses that you've got, how can they do that? The best way is probably on the landline because the mobile reception here is terrible. Mm -hmm. The phone number is 56-056-266-227 or Facebook. Okay. And that's Christine Stevens or under Shady Creek Equestrian? Christine Stevens. Okay. And those details will be available on your site on Horse Chats as well, which is horsechats.com slash Christine Stevens. Thank you very much. That's okay. And it's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S too. Yes, yes, it is. Yep. All right, Christine. Fantastic talking to you today. I've certainly enjoyed talking to you about your young horses that you bring along and, you know, lots of other stuff as well. So um, hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime soon. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank, thank you, you very much for thinking of me. <laughs> okay, bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. 
If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below. 